Welcome to the Craft Imperial Podcast, a weekly podcast about cigars, whiskey, and all the banter you could possibly want. You'll join your host, the Bourbon Cowboy, the Viking, as each week we get into different cigars, different whiskeys, budget, hard to find, unicorn, you name it. The rabbit holes we're going to go down, insights, opinions, conversation, new releases from Craft Impero, and anything else we can seem to let fall of our mouths that week. You guys enjoy this episode. Mahalo. All right, all right, aloha, guys. Welcome back to the Craft and Pearl podcast. You're here with your host, the Viking. And the Bourbon Cowboy. And we are here in Pacific, Missouri at the Cigar Vault. Don't move that chair too much because I'm flipping this table on it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, for our podcast this week, um, we got the Players Tournament on right now. Golf is a flow, and it's day one of that. Um, and we're going to have a new cigar to the podcast to start with. And uh, kind of recap on some things. So if you're on the Patreon, you're watching the video. See all you guys. And uh, yeah, Bourbon Cowboy ran off to grab um, some glasses and whatnot. And uh, we'll get everything going here. So we're actually going to start today. I said a new cigar with us. This is the uh, Rojas Carnitas. Uh, this is the okay. That's why I can't have nice things. I'd be on the mic up. Okay, it's good. We got it up there. Uh, but these are the Rojas Carnitas. Uh, these are the street taco carnitas made by Rojas Cigars. Um, I smoked, or we actually smoked, a couple of these with the Mad Russian. We had got these in the last year or the year before. I don't remember which ones, but he had them, or he's had them. Um, and I haven't had the carnitas, so we saw these this morning and thought, why not start semi-flat? So we'll cut into these. And Rojas is known primarily for their small ring gauge cigars. They don't really do anything above a 50, I believe. But I think everything in their their portfolio is either a 50 or lower in ring gauge. And what is the... Um you know, the whole makeup like this one. Um, I'm going to go with, I believe that Rojas is primarily Nicaraguan, but I don't know full blend information off the top of my head. I guess I could, I could give them a Google it. Let's see what we got. Carnitas. It's got a little wrap shack foot on it. Yeah, it does. I've seen that before. Uh, Ecuador, Connecticut wrapper, Nicaraguan binder filler. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Should be a good one then. Should be. Should be a little good start in the morning. So we'll cut into these, and then we'll get everything everything flowing. Irish tunes in the background today because uh, Pacific here is getting ready for the Pacific St. Patty's Day Festival. They always hold it the weekend before St. Patrick's Day. So um, 
the city of Pacific will have a big thing going on. Cigar Vault's going to have a whole whole big party going on morning, noon, and night. Um, so that'll be a lot of fun to be down in this area. It'll be cool. Um, yeah, so let's fire these bad boys up and, and kind of get after it. Wow. I wore my kilt. I didn't know we were jumping around, Lucky Charm style. Did you just say jumping around Lucky Charm style? Yeah. Okay, so make some tracking. We're good. Do you know who does that? Who says that? No. I thought that's what you said. I just wasn't. Um, I'm trying to think. I think it was on YD4's album. Um, that rapper. Wow. Um, Whitey Ford. Uh, the Ends. Who sings it? I gotta look it up. The computer is just full. Let's see here. Everlast. Yeah, he's got one of these songs, Everlast is singing, whatever, and he's got some of his buds on there, and he goes, oh, you know, I'm... Perfect. You know, he goes, my style is like, you know, jump around, Lucky Charm style. Everlast. <laughs> Everlast. Everlast. Okay. One of his buddy gets yeah, on, yeah. he goes, hey, dog, don't forget me, and, you know, you know my style, jump around, Lucky Charm style, you know. <laughs> I did hear one. Now that he's gotten older, was pretty damn good. He sang some of his old stuff. Everlast. Yeah. Yeah, he will. He will everlast. His all right. Just, his music just always dialed in. It's always great. There's never really any drawback from it. You know, this first cigar of the day. Um, it's a silky, tasty little guy. Funny you say that. Uh, and speaking of silky taste, I went to the vault today, this morning, and I was trying to decide. I wanted something kind of smooth and something good. And then I was like, what about that old Forester distiller's cut or whatever it is? And um, I just looked, 128 proof. But if I remember right, this stuff was awful good. I'm not a big old Forrester guy, but this single barrel, barrel strength, master distiller selected. Yeah, Southern Glaciers just did a Missouri pick on that, and we got some of it at, at Lit, and it's fantastic. Wow. I don't, obviously, it's not the same thing, right? But they did that barrel strength, single barrel. But pick. I just don't like any. Well, I, I think I have had. Um, you like the ride? We've had the ride together. I have, and that makes really good Manhattan. Yes. Um, and then my other one is the Bonded, the Bond Bond. Yeah, it's like nineteen twenty or yeah, it is. Good. I don't, I don't remember what the year is on it. But now this yeah. shit should be way heads above all of that. Oh yeah, 
See, my thing is like, so I, I, I know we have this before, I've had it in a while, but when I tried the one that Glacius did that, that Lit got in, immediately, I, th I think it's better than birthday bourbon, right? But for me, right, we've talked, you know, I like really high, what, what, <laughs> sure the other day, you like that high octane. I'm like, no, I just like heavy proof that's got good body to it. That's, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. You know? I'm um, trying to sit back. I usually sit on yeah, the edge of my- Yeah, you always sit up. Don't fall asleep or anything. Sit. Um, on the edge of my seat. I don't know. Maybe it's because I need to be ready for anything, but I'm gonna try to sit back a little bit. I'm like a lever to bring the spring into action. God, that almost looks like the same exact clock at Legends. That's because it's modeled after the same exact clock at Legends. Because every single clock you see like that is modeled after the same clock as that St. Andrews. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, that's, that's really why they look like that, though. Um, but. Yeah, cool week, cool week in cigars, man. I know that everything got wrapped up. TAA, or not TAA, sorry. Um, uh, TPC, or TPE, sorry, wrapped up last week. Uh, Habano's Festival wrapped up last week. That was a lot of cool reading. Um, Habano's Festival is something that I, I want to look to get to in the next couple of years. Hopefully regulations, hopefully we keep the world in one piece, we don't blow each other up, but if we don't, um, it would be cool to see regulations and get to uh, be able to get down to Cuba for a Habanos festival. In Cuba? In Cuba, yeah. I don't even think we can go to Cuba right now. You can't, well we, you can't, you can now, in, in a sense. There's a way to get there because uh, Brooks and Charlie from Half Wheel, you know, the review posts that we like to make fun of, but we, yeah. we enjoy so much because it's the best online news article in the industry. Um, they got down there, we're at it. Um, all the, you know, Brit, the Brits were all down there, but that's because, you know, they've always been able to travel down there. But. So, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is some of these, I get hit. Um, by some of these cigar things and every once in a while I'll just go ahead and order them but I wanted to talk to you about a couple of these and let's see if they still have them uh, Tatuaje Limited Edition Robusto Especiales let me see it you should order those right now Limited Edition okay. I don't know what those are um, that might be the LE of the, the Robusto size of the Toro size that's in. Are those the Heroes? These are the Black Label Trading Company only royalty Robustos. Oh, let's get those too. Um, my Father S Special Toro. Yep. Um, this one really kind of piqued my eye. AJ Fernandez. Pinulero. Figurado sampler of three. Well, that's kind of like one of his old diesel sizes. I don't. I have no idea what that is. But these, instead of me just, but the Black Trading Company, I thought for sure maybe me and you these, would just split those. Well, we'll split those. But I want to know what these are. The Tatuaje uh, Royal, yeah. was it, or Special, the Robusto Special, and they've got like a pigtail cap. And the little shag foot at the bottom. These might be, 
They look like SNS release, but they also look like the Robusto size of what was in the Advent calendars. Well, that's what I, before I, I want to let you look at uh, that poster. has been out. a cigar. Right. Uh, I was almost for sure thinking we'd want to do the, uh, the black label for sure. Yeah, I'm down with that for sure. Um, Speaking of black labels, so uh, we told you guys that Let's Go Lives became a Prometheus account back in the beginning of December or end of November. I don't I don't recall exactly when that was, but um, all that is still there. But just came into the humidor um, that Sincere Black Robusto that I had you smoke that I told you about. That real kind of yum. It's the best way. It's that yummy medium. Chalky built flavored cigar. Yeah, it released a Lancero in it, and the Lancero arrived. Now, I haven't smoked it yet. I'm giving it. I'm gonna let it sit in the humidor for a few days, and then smoke it. But it is it is a beautiful cigar. Beautiful cigar. This has got kind of a a dusty tang to it. Yeah. Now, in saying that, I've not put one drop of bourbon in me yet, right? So that's a little different, but kind of dry on the tongue. Yeah, I don't know. It's 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 a silky, smooth little kickstart. Uh, that's what. Let's get these. I can see though, like the, the dust. All right, a little Cheers. old Forester 128 proof barrel select. Let's... Gorgeous as always. Now that makes me smile. You know, I understand having different expressions because different people will enjoy different expressions. But if I can be a little selfish. That's 120 Get proof. rid of Enforcer, just make that. <laughs> it's all, you know, this is, you know what it is? And I think this is the honest truth. It's, it's like, I saw the Chippendales thing. And, and I've been the Chippendales TV show. Basically, yeah. what they're doing with the, this is creating a line. Yeah. yeah, they're making you wait. You can't have like we know you like it. That's why you're not going to get it. You're going to have to try harder to get it. Right. You're creating a line in the cigar industry. It's right. Just like oh, we know all you guys want to come in here, but we're kind of full. You're going to have to stand in line. Oh, by the way, we're going to. Do you have a membership? You know, whatever. Maybe you can get in a little more, you know. Yeah. Well, that's in every business, though, right? You can take it down into anything. Take it to cars, okay? There's some special model of your truck, right? Now, anybody can buy your truck now, but if you want the surplus truck, there's only six of them this quarter. You know, you may have to wait until the next, okay? Think about like you know gamer kids on on computers and shit. Speaking of which, I just saw the new Harley Davidson Silverado. Holy shit! The motorcycle company sponsored a truck. Oh yeah. Oh okay. It looks like a Batman truck. I mean, it is dialed in. Nice. Now, would I want it? No. 
it's a little too dialed in for me. Well, know. we're gonna get some video footage of ripping around in uh, the Mad Russian slingshot when he gets that bad boy. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do a three wheel donuts, baby. I will say this cigar is on the giddy up. Mm-hmm. This is a fast burn. This ain't gonna be a slow beat. Um, this guy's already almost an inch and a half in, and I just started smoking. Yeah. No, I think there's some there's some cool stuff coming up in the in the industry, man. Um, it was interesting talking with Jen because you remember, and maybe it's been a month ago now. We talked about Mexico putting that countrywide smoking ban in place, and when DJ, you know, the better look Michael Jordan was down there, he went to light a cigar on the beach, and he was like accosted by the cops. Like you can't do that here. You can't smoke here. And you just read, I think, on our last podcast, Nashville's. Uh, is going yeah I still think that's funny that Nashville put that in place and this is I was talking about it later that night and I was like I think they did it almost as like a, a facade's not the right word but for image because the smoking penalty is fifty dollars so they appeased a certain group yep it's on the books, but we're really not going to enforce it. Again, we don't know bucks. that. We don't know that. But if yeah. I'm looking, if I'm looking at Broadway in freaking Nashville, right, with Tootsie's, Alan Jackson's, Whiskey Row, all of these places that on a Tuesday night do tens of thousands of dollars, they get caught smoking. You're going to find them fifty dollars, not per person. No, I bet there's not a lot of cigars being lit up because most of that's young kids. You get the mix of the older guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, But I mean, they were really cool places. How are you going to police that? I mean, they're pulling it right out of their pocket, vape, put it back in. Well, dude, have you seen the people that can vape and not release the smoke? Yeah, I I mean, you can do the same thing with weed and the bars. When we were flying to Vegas... We're sitting there, and I'm getting a drink, I'm sitting down, and I look over at this kid, and he keeps putting his hand like this, and I'm like, now I'm interested. I'm like, what are you doing? I want to know. I want to know. And eventually, he pulled one up, and he went, <coughs> and I saw a little, and I went, little fuck. Oh, I wouldn't want to do the that. The whole time, he's vaping up on the plane. You're fucking with a serious fine there. I'm like, but it was what? crazy, because I kept seeing him do it, and it wasn't like, I, at first, I thought he was one of those, you know those sneezers, they go, Inward sneezers. Those? Yeah, and I'm like just waiting on their brain to fall out of their ears. I thought that's what he might be doing. But then he, he went he went at it one it was just something about the way his hands were sitting. Like he was holding something up here. And he went down into it one more time and he went and there was just this slight little Oh my god. I'm like, can I you really not go on three airlines. and a half hours without smoke in your lungs? That's crazy. You know what I got hooked up on last night that I had forgot about? You were Malaysia Flight MH370? Yes. It's a new Netflix thing. I got hooked on it last night, watched all three fucking episodes. It's crazy. Well, it's crazy stuff. I wanted to watch it too, and I got the no go on Janine. She was like, I'm not into documentaries tonight because I know I'm a total documentary nut. I like watching all of it. Tell you and, what, uh, it's only three episodes. It's pretty, uh, pretty intriguing. Because of. The possible conspiracies. Well, the, the thing that gets me. So I do think, like after watching it, and I know Aaron and fucking fresh. I think the plane did go down. I think somebody crashed the plane because the thing that gets me is 
I don't know anything about avionics and the the amount of technology on an airplane. But let me tell you something. If a plane can fly from LaGuardia in New York to Australia in 17 hours and get you there safely and feed you food and keep you cold or warm, I guarantee it's got a hell of technology on it, right? The thing that got me with that plane is once it got just outside Malaysian airspace, every signal on the plane went down. Everything. How did how? And listen, but this, this is I, this is my thing. I there you, there's gotta be a way. There's got to be something in the plane that you can't turn off, right? Unless you activate an EMP, like something's going to have to, you know what I mean? I have no idea, but I just find it hard to believe. It's just like the balloon bullshit. Like, oh, they're over the United States. <laughs> you did not know that this balloon was coming? Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to fly my drone into your secret airbase. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't understand how they don't know about all this like a week in advance. Get on the well, line. well. The I, I will tell you, and you you can kind of think about this from uh, like bird strikes on airplanes, right? When when they happen right after takeoff. So I, I did learn this watching this documentary. They talk about when they're talking about what imaging that the naval air stations, uh, Pacific fleets, uh, any air station, ground monitoring radar to the center. They're looking at everything above six thousand feet. Because most common aircraft, even on a low entry, is going to come in right at about around that point. Well, I would think these balloons were above 6,000 feet. Now, did you, 3,000 feet a mile. A mile in the air. 3,700 feet, right? 37-something 30, is a mile? It's an air balloon. It's not a... Yeah. I, I don't know, man. I, it's just like, how, you know, these planes are flying around L.A. And they look out their window and there's a guy flying in the air. And no one can catch them. I mean, yeah, yeah, well, there is that. I mean, it just it just gets so damn hokey. What up, baby? Hey. How you doing, man? What's going on, kids? Y'all tanned up? Uh, huh? Not tanned enough. <laughs> <laughs> what do you know? We're hanging out, man. Yeah. Let's over some uh, carnitas, little street tacos. Excellent, excellent. What are you up to? Just come by to say hi. Hey. Check out things. <laughs> Trying to get caught up in the office and all the other stuff. Yeah, yeah. What time does Jake Wyatt start tonight? We didn't talk about it yet, but... Uh, five. Five? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Is it so the big boys in town? Or? No, Scooby Drew will be here. Just for oh. He'll be yeah. here doing Jake Wyatt deals. Um, yeah, Jake Wyatt deals. I'm sure he's going to have swag, things like that, whichever. Um, all that. So. You going to hang around for a while? Yeah. Oh, here? Okay, cool. Yeah. I can get you in a little bit. I want you to pop in here. I want to talk about this weekend, like right. what you're doing. All right, right on. Um, but that's how I feel about that. It's just very, very strange to me that if a plane could suddenly turn off and disappear like that, wouldn't there be more plane crashes? Wouldn't there be more? I mean, and like, aren't you like, aren't statistically, aren't you more likely being struck by lightning twice? in the same spot than dying in a plane crash? It's just such an oddity for a plane of that size to all of a sudden disappear and they can't find no trace of it for, what, a year? Yeah, they never found it. Well, I thought they found something. Yeah, okay, here's my point. They found but debris. I watched it. Yeah, so when you watch it, they find debris. But the ATSB never says this part they can't of the match wall. It up no, they said the high likeliness that this is part of the plane. 
you know and then like in this in this documentary they interview like the the spouses and family members of people like wanting to know where their family is and there's one chick she she was a uh, her and her, her husband was a flight attendant on the plane him and her been flight attendants for 20 plus years um she was like if you found a part of the plane you would know it belongs to a part of a plane right and she goes how does this just suddenly show up here you know because part part of the uh um I'm going to say rafter, that is not the right word. It's the articulated piece on the plane when the landing gear goes down. Yeah. Right? They found that. Right? Now, mind you, this thing on a 777 is like the way through this room, one piece of it, and it like it just washed up. She's like, well, if that's there, where's the rest of it? Yes. If that big piece can float, well, where's so this the rest? Happens, it's been happening time and time again through the Bermuda Triangle that planes are out there and they're gone. Yeah, but they find those. Like, we know where those are. They're in the water. Like, people have scoped them. You can dive them. Like, okay, well, here's a nice example. Okay, see, uh, the plane that went down in Hudson. That yeah. captain, when it had plane failure... Sully. He right. was able to bring Bird's that right. thing down. There was no destruction of the plane whatsoever. Well, I will tell you this. The Hudson and the South China Sea, too. But let's yeah. say they were able to bring it down, and then it just eventually sinks. Nobody gets out of it, and it goes under, and whatever, and you, they're all just underwater, and nobody will find it for well, another, you know, some weird. That's the 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 biggest, or I wouldn't say the biggest, but what seems most likely that everybody's trying to attach it to is that there was a suffrage of hypoxia on the plane, a, a depletion of oxygen, people passed out, right? If that's the case, who passed out then woke up and turned all the goddamn power on? You know what I, I mean? I don't know. It's just weird. <laughs> I, I look forward to seeing that. This, um, listen, there's just, in my opinion, there's just a lot going on. A lot, a well, lot, Well, do you know what tore me up? I, I'm thinking about this. I'm like, oh, Blaze well, Fight 370. Is a couple, dude, that was almost 10 years ago. In 2014. Wow, yeah. So this movie, this military movie I watched last night, of course I don't know the name, but that's what I do. It's about CIA, whatever, coming in, picking a force, and they go out way deep in the Afghanistan mountains. And there's a guy, a very spiritual leader, up in the mountains, and they're finding this heat signature up in the mountains, and they think it's something, they think it's a weapon, not from the United States or Russia or anything. They think it's some sort of alien heat source and whatever. And they send these guys out into this area, which it ends up being, it's somewhat, I mean, it's all open-ended, but it's some sort of portal. But the guy who's out in this portal or whatever and is able to do what he's doing has some tie to the spiritual man that is out in there. They never really find the guy, but the guy, they finally find the one survivor or whatever, and they've got him. But... I don't know. It's just really interesting. I don't know. I don't know. That's um, exactly what it all ends up. That or not. Uh, yeah, dude. That was like that uh, outer range show. Like, yeah. It, it, stop trying. Look, there can't be another cowboy TV show. Okay, it's over. It's done. There can't be another. Yellow Sun Hunter. Um, you're saying not another season two of Open Range? No. Well, you know no. that. Yeah, fuck all that noise. That just sounds crazy. Um. So I did golf yesterday. Told you that. I know. Tell me how you golf. I'm still terrible. 
It's great. Actually, not bad. I had two pars, and then I bogeyed every other hole. Well, I just figured if you're all by yourself, you know, and you're relaxed and whatever, you may shoot a little better. My drives were... So I went to the driving last week, and I'm finding that I've been going, well, I haven't gone in like two and a half months, let's be crazy, but my irons are getting pretty good. I, I'm really comfortable <laughs> with my irons. That's our legend, right? How about a week ago, week translate to month and a half? Uh, yeah, just the other day, probably six months ago. <laughs> yeah. But my drives used to be really good, and now my drives have slipped, and now my irons are picking up. My putting, for the most part, has always been good. Chipping onto the thing is not bad and whatever, but my irons are getting better. And the drive, I think I'm just trying to find that correlation, that swing that works for the drive as well as uh, the irons. And I don't know that it's that different, but uh, it just feels a little different. And it's surprising me that we're even talking about it because we're, we're not supposed to get too serious about this. Me and Mark, when we first started golfing, we're like, if we get too serious about this, we need to quit. Um, but he always tells me he's not getting serious, but I believe he is. Who, who doesn't want to be a better golfer? I mean, it, it, I, I'm not necessarily saying you want to be super competitive, although we are. You know, we just want to get out there and have fun. It has to be relaxing. I don't know. Some days it's not relaxing. It's frustrating as hell. But most of the time, there's parts of the game that go well. And then there's other parts of the game that don't go so so well. But anyway. Yeah, no, but it was good. I mean, I was, you know my drive. We've talked about it all the time. We'll talk about it a bunch of times throughout this year. I got to go right, come over, right? Yeah. But I was correcting them, like, I never missed a fairway driving. I played 12 holes, never missed a fairway. There was, and I stopped because the rain and all oh, that shit was coming in. But, um, but no, I was, and actually, I hit some pretty good putts, you know? Like, I was landing rather close, which was yeah. cool. What was messing me up was... How do I explain this? It wasn't that my drives were great, my pitches were clean. It was my distance from the drive to the green. I had some great bomb pops that just went way over the green and chipped back. Um, I had one that I had hit and I guess I hooked it and it went behind a tree and I pulled my five iron out, cleaned up 185 yards, and it landed like I don't know, 20 feet from the hole. I hit it. It was great, right? Um, so you're a better golfer than me, and I'm going to tell you why. Um, you're a better golfer because you have at least figured out your hybrid. The hybrids scare the shit out of me, and I and I need to... Well, I only have one hybrid, right? So it's like, you in your set, you've got like two or three or... Yeah, I've got a two and a like three, I think. Like fairway woods. And yeah, so yeah, mine yeah. is a... Mine, the Cobra I have is a four or five... It's a wood hybrid so it's got like the face of an iron but then the bevel of a wood i guess i don't i don't know i just like it because when i screw up my drive i can clean up 250 yards with it but wow. but then i can't i can't hit it off the tee 
this is not there. That's the thing. And I played me. the I played the simulator there yesterday. Oh yeah. It's the same one at Wild Club. Same thing. Really? Same thing. It sucks. Oh. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't suck. It's you have to be like what I don't like about simulators is if you are not like a point driven like if you don't move your club in right like. You've got to be a trained golfer to play on a simulator, or the tracker's not going to pick it up. You know what I mean? So, like for example, like when I was doing my drives, I tilted off, right? Because I wanted to see on the screen the, the arc on it. Tilted off, and when I hit it, I mean, I, you feel it when you hit the ball. Catch it, smacks the mat, and it, it said that my club speed was 21 miles an hour. Ball went 200 yards. I'm like. The math doesn't make sense. The club can't move at 21 miles an hour and then move the ball when my pitching wedge on a chip is moving 57 miles an hour and it goes 20 yards. You know what I mean? Hmm. But it's, it's just, it's one of those simulators. I mean, if you're into it, there's a bunch of guys play league up there. There's a whole league on that. Oh. Yeah. Stats and stuff, but I, I should say, I love it for like chipping I love it because it straightened my it straightened my my pitching wedge out. Like I did it in there, and I was like, it's just a screen. But then I went out to the little practice thing, and I was hitting some some dime drops, you know, within you know eight to twelve, eight to fourteen inches from holes. So it was cool. I think with me, most of my um, uh, forward and learning about my swing. Um, it's not as much as about my swing as it is my rotation. I, I try to do everything with my arms. Like start with my arm, through with my arm, and out with my arm, and, and I'm not moving my hips. I, I need to use my rotation, and I think by rotating my hips a little bit, by um, connecting with the ball and it going straighter will get better. Yeah, I did. I did find um, I think, see, if I start thinking about it, it gets weird. Well, I, that's I, what I, I was did, I did find like. that I was spinning when I was when I was driving. I wasn't like you know normally I hit the ball and I'm just there. I was spinning. I used one tee all twelve balls. Never broke a tee. Wow. Yeah. Lost four balls, but never broke a tee. <laughs> that's a new record, bro. <laughs> Uh, uh, uh. Hmm. So, we're going to come back to this street talk in a minute and talk about it, but there was this conversation I was listening to the other day, and you were kind of the one I really wanted to have it with, our version of it with. Davidoff cigars, okay? Now, we're not smoking them, so I know there's kind of no reference to it, but just historically, through your smoking, have you ever smoked a Cuban Davidoff? No. Okay, because they stopped in like 87. I've never smoked a Cuban Davidoff, okay? But I was listening to two older English gentlemen that they've been around since the 60s with their stores and everything like that. They're in their 80s now, 90s maybe. Um, but they were talking about at that point in time when Zeno, uh, or Zeno sold, Zeno Davidoff sold Davidoff to its current or former owner now. Sorry, I don't have the name handy and ready. They moved to the Dominican Republic. And at that point in time, a lot of Davidoff smokers thought it was going to be the end of Davidoff. 
Because how do you go from this this Cuban namesake from leaving Cuba and then you go over to the Dominican Republic? And they said something that I think proves. If, if you remember, I'm going to kind of segue here. If you remember two three episodes ago, I was talking about that. Well, people are starting to use this term more and more now. That new world versus old world cigars. Cuban cigars are old world. New world is anything not made inside Cuba, right? Um, that there was this individual that was trying to say that the largest cigar market was Europe out of Cuba. And I said, that's completely insane. Like, there's no way Europe does more tobacco per year in cigars than the United States or even Japan, right? Um, so in, in this conversation, going back to what I'm saying, he said it was genius because once they moved over, knowing that the embargo had gone in place, if Davidoff cigars had stayed being made in Cuba, they never would have been able to be sold into the largest cigar market, the United States. Right. So if they had not moved, Davidoff would not be what Davidoff is, right? You know, you could say the same thing for the Padrones, the Fuentes, everyone that came over from Cuba, right, because that's obviously where everybody came from, but where Davidoff is a little different in that standard is Davidoff was always selling to Europe and always selling to the United States. Once the embargo went into effect... Through Cuba. Yeah, through mm -hmm. Cuba. Once the embargo went into effect, 20 years later they, they became, or 15, whatever the, the year statement is, they moved to the Dominican Republic and then they started selling into the American market again. Right? So, my question is, and this is how they offered it, it was really interesting. And I, I don't ever think about Davidoff in this way than I did once I heard this question. In the past 20 years you've been smoking, you've smoked Davidoff over those years. Could you imagine if Davidoff wasn't there? Well, you know, my experience with them is usually the late hour. That's what yeah, I smoke that's the most. Newer. Yeah. Not saying that I haven't had a few others, but that's usually what I have. But... So your your question is, Davidoff wouldn't be what it is today without making that. If, if Davidoff had not moved to the Dominican Republic, it would not be what it is today. And so when I heard that no, question, it would be. well, I, I know, but they're the they're the newest. You know what I mean? Like they're the they're the largest name with the most recent history of moving. <clears throat> Let me ask you this question, and I'm asking this for our listeners as well. Who produces the most tobacco in the world? So pretty much every year, it's about a ten to 20,000 pound differential between Nicaragua and the Dominican Republic. Okay, what about the United States and Connecticut? I, that, right, that's none. <laughs> On comparative to the, the millions of pounds they do? None. Yeah. No. The Connecticut River Valley is, uh, shit, I want to say it's like 100 and maybe 100 miles but let's say <clears throat> well that's now it's also it's also States. it's also the most sought after tobacco in the world for rapper for rap is true connecticut river valley right the reason you have things like ecuador and connecticut is because not everyone can purchase there's just simply not enough of it to purchase true river valley connecticut shade wrapper so people took that varietal seed and it was tried everywhere. It was tried in Nicaragua, it was tried in the DR, and Ecuador just has the right setting for it. But the, the, th the reason that, the thing that makes it so different is what the reason you get that golden hue, that honey, silky, smooth, 
clean. Very thin, but but tangible structure on real Connecticut is because it grows rather quickly in a very specified time in a natural half shade, half sun grown platform. Just because of where it's growing. You can replicate seed varietal, you can grow the same varietal of plant, but one thing you cannot replicate is environment, right? If you're growing Peruvian tobacco at 12,000 feet above sea level, right? You can't go at 5,000 feet above sea level and suck all the air out of the bottom of the room and grow tobacco and hope that it acts as if the air is thinner because it's up higher. You know what I mean? Even if you have the same soil, the tires, you cannot recreate environment. So I, what I don't understand is <clears throat> why do the truest think that Cuban cigar grown in Cuban, same seat in Cuba, same cigar, and take that seat, put it in Nicaragua at the greatest uh, place you can place a Cuban seed and grow it. Why wouldn't that be better? Because better is personal, right? It's it's conceptual. It, it's better is your best may be my good, my bad may be your worst, right? You know what I mean? Like perception of everything is everything. I don't think that there are truists that simply think Cuban tobacco is the best. I, no, no, I can't say that. So I, w I will say, if you're in the European market, if you've been smoking Cuban cigars because you it's what you've grown up on, it's what you've had, you've always had it, it's never gone away, then I would, I would think that if you, you know, you're smoking Cuban tobacco and then someone hands you a 1964 exclusive Maduro, it's gonna, I don't care what Cuban you're smoking, that thing's gonna knock you on your ass. You're gonna feel sick. It's too potent, it's too strong, right? So again, I think the perception kind of rules the whole thing because it's like, you know, I, I said this last night to a guy, and I think I'm calling myself a Nicaraguan whore. I think that what Nicaraguan tobacco does, as long as it's the primary tobacco, okay? Luciano is a prime expert in what he can do with Nicaraguan tobacco as his base and then work in Costa Rican, Peruvian, right? Play with it. It but offers kind of the same, <clears throat> I guess what I'm getting at is that, and then, I mean, even if you're Tibet, look, look, I, there's just so many factors that go into making a great cigar from the rollers to the farm, how it's cut, how this, how yeah. it's, how it's timed, how it's laid and set and weighed. And it's the same thing with bourbon. You could have the same mash bill that starts and then you put it into oak barrels. Okay, so where are those oak barrels? Okay, so they're white oak barrels. Okay, what region, and a lot of it comes out of Missouri, what region did that white oak tree come? And it's the same exact principle as you could have in St. James, there's white oak that is amazing. And you go 50 miles uh, south and you get some white oak and that is coming out a little bit different. Yeah, so think, think of it this way, right? The, the, it, it's the same thing, but kind of on a, a shorter half-life, right? So when you're talking about white oak, right? 
yes, white oak was probably natural throughout the country, okay? But you do know that people took white oak seedlings and planted them here, planted them there. Different species of oak developed, things like that, right? That's the same thing that happened when people left Cuba, right? You've got Corojo and Criollo seed. You take those seeds and then, you know, that's why it's funny when someone says Cuban seed. It's all technically Cuban seed. It's a lineage derivative down from Cuban seed, right? Same thing with um, uh, same thing with grapes. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and it's the same thing too. Like people ask all the time. It's like, well, how come, you know, tobaccos in the United States don't are don't use for cigars? I'm like, well, they do in, in Connecticut, right? But you can go in your backyard right now, and you could grow a either a grow or grow a plant to full maturation, right? The reason it doesn't work is because of the ground content, right? The temperatures outside, the, the amount of humidity to moisture, um, you know, the, the, the actual dexterity of the ground that you're planting it into, you know? Um, when, you, when you're looking at these, these regions where tobacco is grown, there's one constant thing. It's eight hours of sunshine, semi-cool nights, and temperatures during the day never exceed their humidity dew point, right? For some reason, why that is what it is. It's now, just like a cannabis. They call it the Emerald Triangle up in Upper California, where in those mountains, it just grows up in those mountains in Northern California. Perfect. Do you just need to take that? No, okay. it was it was my mamarita. Okay, all right, she's okay. But yeah, man, I mean, when you when you look at it that way, that's how it goes. So going back to that first question, it just it really, for me to answer, it made me think about Davidoff a little different and kind of the disdain that I have for Davidoff, right? I shouldn't say that. I've I have exceeding respect for Davidoff. The product's just not my bank, you know. It's a lot of it's not. But now lately, um, you know, I came back to that Nicaraguan box press that I kind of stepped away from because I was, you know, I was being a box press snob. Man, I smoked that thing. It's probably a couple years ago now. Uh, I picked it up, blew it, and we smoked it. And it's it's just a chocolate bar. It's beautiful, you know. It's a little spice, great, great chalky sweetness. Just a phenomenal cigar. Loved it. But and then I stopped and I started thinking. Obviously, you don't remember every humidor you've walked into. You don't remember every time you've been in the shop. But there were five, six times that I walked in, and, and one recently was after the Chiefs Raiders game in Vegas. I had just hit that twenty-five hundred bucks on that little slot machine. And I walked over to the Davidoff store, and I was like, "I'm gonna do it." I didn't do it. I didn't buy a Davidoff. But, but it's one of those moments. I'm like, I had. That's what's. That's what's in my mind. I know that. I, I, I should do it. I, I want to go try it. And so when I think about if Davidoff had not made that move and had just stayed being a Cuban company, one, would it even still be around? Right? Who knows? And two, it would have maintained just being a European market product, but there wouldn't be, again, that allure, that draw, that drive, all of that fun. Gotcha. You know, I get it. Well, man, I'm down to about an inch. This sucker is a fast mover. 
but I like this cigar. And I think your um, take on it was really good. Here at the end, uh, I'm getting a little more bitter. Right here at the end. But yeah, all in all, this has been a pretty good cigar. Yeah, but the bitter might be, t so if, if you're getting bitter at the end of the cigar, this is something I, I've been kind of trying to promote and teach people lately. It's something I've adjusted in my own smoking patterns. Slow your drawdown. Whoa, it's like trying to slow my no, smoking you, down. Hear, hear me out, hear me out, right? So if you're getting lower instead of, because you, you pretty much draw like I do, you do the, right? Take your draw more. And let it go. Because the, but most of the time that bitter state is like, you see how your ash is coming down to the end, right? Yeah. Now that heat's starting to approach your tongue, okay? If you start drawing too fast, that's that heat hitting your tongue. Yeah. And it's, it's gonna get better, it's gonna get weird. But, I very much love this cigar. I smoke this cigar every morning, man. This is good. I got no problem with this. Now that it's getting down here though, like I probably have two inches left on this, I think, or an inch and a half, whatever, it's, it's got a little, I just a did, I slowed my drawdown very, very and it wasn't bit of spice. Though. That's a good, I like that. Yeah. That's, yeah, I see what you're saying. I started doing that because like when I'm when I'm quality checking on stuff and like I'm, I'm smoking through them, like I, I feel like I've got to rush myself. And it's, this shit's always in your head. You know, we all know that. But I, I found out, I was like, God damn, you know, like I, I did it last night. I'm moving around the cigars in my mouth and I'm puffing, 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 puffing. And I pull it out and I'm like, waited, lit the cigar. I took one clean draw off of it, and it was right back to that spicy, smooth, big, like, cotton candy plume of smoke. And I went, uh, <laughs> combustion, heat. Yeah, worked it out. I always like the guy who's got a long ash, and he's like, I don't know, this cigar is not, it's got kind of a funky taste to it, whatever. So I look over, and he's like burnt halfway through his label. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I'm just saying you may want to take the label off because you're burning paper too. And your ash. Okay, so I'm gonna bring this up real quick. And I get these I get these things as they I get these notices that they pop up. And and so you guys do know when I reference these articles, I'm referencing these articles from Half Wheel. Um, just because I get my notifications from them. Um, FDA proposes regulating cigar factories and other tobacco manufacturing facilities. Hey guys, FFK here. Make sure to tune into every episode of Craft and Boodle. And don't forget that as listeners, you guys receive a 15% discount on the entire order when you shop at my store. Promo code CRAFTBOODLE15. Once again, CRAFTBOODLE15. Make sure you follow me at Instagram at FFK underscore stands so you can receive that discount. And once again, thanks for listening. So the FDA has announced that they propose a plan that would require all tobacco manufacturing facilities to create, follow, and document a wide range of procedures ranging from cleanliness to production processes to vetting suppliers like tobacco growers. While nothing changed today, as of March 8th, this marks a monumental step forward in how FDA can regulate the cigar industry because today's proposed changes would mean FDA would be regulating the cigar factories directly. Here's my final on that. Tell the FDA to fuck off and leave us alone. That's how I feel about that. FDA 
in America? Yes. Or FDA? Uh, how do they play in Nicaragua and Honduras? The FDA is a worldwide. Yeah, I think I don't know. Well, it's it's more or less it's so uh, the FDA is no hang on hang on it's not it's not it's not it's not the FDA like they're regulating fucking everything it's the regu- it's the FDA putting a regulation into place that for factories that are shipping product to the United States when you're shipping into the country you can apply uh, assurances checklists proper procedure uh, you know uh, simple things like if you. If you want to ship this comic to make this real easy, if you want to ship a comic stand from Nicaragua from Managua to Southern California, the container must weigh at least 3,100 pounds, be encompassed by 12 total containers on the ship coming in, with a checked register list, right? So there's a double checklist, triple checklist, and then everything is secured, locked, maintained the entire trip, journey, etc. Blah 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 blah, right? Think of it like a, an invoice when a delivery arrives, right? Or um, a, a, a spreadsheet displaying what product is coming in, what is arriving, what you've ordered, quantity, inventory, etc. So, wow, you know, I just think it's the FDA is losing their chance to come at us and regulate tobacco. Um, they're losing that chance because we're proving everything about how premium tobacco should be different than. Shortcut tobacco, short run tobacco, infused tobacco, flavored tobacco, vaping, marijuana, fucking, you know, if, if you're going to encompass premium tobacco, long filler tobacco and all that, we might as well throw fucking hash and, and, and acid in there too, you know, like why not? But th- this is this is just a second attempt on them to try and create this, 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 this finishing act, right, this finishing move to regulate smoking in the country. And I... And I they're overstepping their boundaries, you know, because I'm still waiting. We've talked about this. I'm still waiting to sit down with the, you know, I know I'm a horrible example, but I never smoked in public when I was a kid, right? It was at my house. I, there was nothing, or my, my, my uncle's house. There was nothing like that, right? But I'm still waiting for the day, you know, I've never caught a fake ID. I know what they look like. I know how they feel. I know what they are. I've never seen one. Now, have I seen kids that the day or the day after they turn 21 in a cigar shop? Yeah. Well, you're a grown-ass man. You're a grown-ass woman. You're welcome to do whatever you decide to do. You know? But I'm still waiting on the 16, 17-year-old kid to come into a shop. I'm not even saying when I'm working. I want to be in a shop. I I haven't seen it on vacation. (laughs) Like when you're a populated area. You know what I mean? Like you don't see it. Duval Street would be one of the most prime places you... Why people bring children to Key West, I'll never understand. But you've seen those little, those little quick Key West cigar shops. Yeah. Little closets you pop into. You just, they don't check shit. You don't see it down there either. You don't see it anywhere. Hmm. You know. Now, do you see 16, 17 year old kids trying to sneak out of school for a cigarette break? Yeah. You know. Wow. It's a little bit more than I need to worry about. No, it, it, need, it needs to be a worry for all cigar smokers because if something like this were to pass, um, you know, think of the regulations like for, for Craft Apiro or local companies like Table 36, Vita Nova, um, STL Cigars, what, what Corey does with his brokership, you know, Corey Frisbee's out here. Um, what happens if 
you start regulating tobacco to the point that now poundage has to meet a certain weight load, right? Prices are going to increase. Things are going to start costing more. They do the you same know. thing with everything. Yeah, with everything. So what? What if, what if they Fruit, start produce, onions? Yeah. Well, what if what if they start onions. think about think about cigar boxes? What if they start mandating a type of sturdiness or a, a United States approved boxing and packaging format? That's where all these things can segue to. Oh. And all they want is a little bite. They just want to be in control. Well, I believe that's true. And it's annoying. Yeah, Leave us that. the hell alone. Yes, I can say that. I'm trying to pick my second cigar because I'm done with my Carlito. Well, don't do those. We did those. Yeah. Yeah, so I'll throw this out to you guys. We're going to have Shane come talk here in a little bit, but uh, I told you the St. Patty's Day Parade is here Saturday. Scooby Drew um, with Snyder Brokerage will be here tonight. Uh, he's got a Jake Wyatt event here tonight, so he'll be doing deals and swag and things like that. Um, next Wednesday, we'll be back at Lit Cigar Lounge for our podcast. Um, and then St. Patrick's Day is Friday. And hey, what do we got this Sunday, bro? We got that Battle Hawk home opener, baby. Don't you think? Thirty thousand plus. Thirty thousand plus. Oh, it, I think it's going to be closer to forty thousand. Well, that would be thirty thousand plus, bro. <laughs> but I'm saying forty thousand plus. No, you corrected. No, 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 no. Because the bottom ring holds twenty-eight thousand. Yeah. And top of three weeks ago, I heard they were close to thirty-eight, and they've already yeah. released. More, so I think the number is going to come in around forty thousand. But um, don't you think the minute somebody heard "caca," somebody went and patented that right away? I still, I'm sorry. You and I were sitting in a lounge, and I remember this like this was 2018 when the news broke. The XFL was coming back. What was his name? Stigma Man owned it. Or Vince McMahon? That's who owned Vince it originally. McMahon, yeah. Coming back, and you were like, you, we were. So you're like getting the battle hogs, and we're like, a call. I know, but I thought I didn't think people you. would wrap their heads around that. I was like, oh, that's that's kind of silly, but everybody went with it and loved it. You know what surprises and me? And I call more? my lawyer right there. Get that tag right. What now. surprises me more is that with the cacaw. Right, so the Battle Hawk is an homage to a drone that's flown by the U.S. Air Force, right? That's, that's what it is, okay? That's what a Battle Hawk is. Well, I thought the Battle Hawk was... Well, there's... Is there Battle Hawk there, planes? There's Battle Hawk it's helicopters? Drone. It's drone. The Battle Hawk drone. Oh, yeah. really? But that's the main, the main format of it. But then there's also there's also like a brown, brown wing tip hawk, it's called. Because I met a hawk. guy at the first... And he had a helmet and shit. He goes, Battlehawk yeah. uh, helicopter, buddy. This is what this uh, thing Battlehawk helicopters. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Or Blackhawk helicopters. Well, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. I'm not a, a military guy. I don't know all of the, uh, you know, I'm not in the Air Force or whatever. Yeah, no, no. But, but that's what's funny about it. That's the direct, like, the design, the steel wings. That's the idea. What really surprised me with the battle hogs is that they, with the cacao, they didn't take it the the bird route. <laughs> you know what I mean? But we're still gonna have the guys in the stadium that I don't know where they found them. The blue feather wings and the the big eagle beak. 
Well, I would, I, I've been thinking about this. I'm trying to put a hat together that I can put a hawk feather for every win. So my hat, when you see me, represents how many wins we have. Right. So if you see me in my hat and I've got, at, at this, at the ta tailgate, I've got three, three feathers in, we got three wins. Um, and I was thinking about maybe a beanie, a really heavy beanie that I can put them in or whatever, but I don't know, blue cowboy hat, that, that doesn't seem to go my way, but whatever, I've been thinking about it, but we can come back to that. So what are we thinking on the next cigar? Because I have not smoked this yet. The Almac? Yeah. Um, I think I'm going to do a Cruzada. I gotta, I'm still going to finish this guy. Yeah. I jump in though. And I think do you have a this, couple of the same or no? I don't think no. we brought into the same. I got, I got a whole fucking Illusion Cruzado in there I might fire up. Uh, <coughs> uh, I'd like to try this. Try it. Uh, I think I have this and got this at Bootlegger. Yep, uh, By the way, I got to shout out to Bill real quick. Dude, I put his new Woodstock uh, beard balm in. Yeah. That dude's got his beard balm game on point. I'm already jokes and I want another one of those cookies. Yeah, I guess. Oh my dude, God. Dude, I, I took a loaf of that bread home and I, I made, remember I made steak that night? He's you got your game that. on. Dude, I took that loaf of bread home and I cut it up and buttered it. And then I put his smoked sea salt, pepper, and garlic on it. Threw him on the grill with the steak. Good, huh? Dude. He's got to tell you something. Hang on, hang on. Let me tell you something. <laughs> did you have any of it? Uh, sure be cool if you did. <laughs> yeah, I did. Oh, man. Yeah, he's got, it. he's got it going, man. And it's crazy that he's got that bakery in the back. It's just, it's nuts. I'm trying to promote his beer stuff anywhere. His bomb, like his bombs. Um, and here's the thing too. Like I used to get when I would shave my head, I used to get razor burn on my head. Yeah. I start rubbing this. Like when I when I'm done putting it into my beard, I rub it up on my head. I don't get razor burn on my head anymore. And I'm not saying it's just because of his magic sauce, but it's the first time. It just smells so good. But you, I'm telling you, that's showing you don't need cologne. My bust that you smell right now is that beer bomb. That's not. That's not anything else. And he calls it Woodstock. It's smoked tobacco and vanilla. I always remember because I watched a lot of it. I, I was overdoing it, but Andy Griffith's show, and they'd go to the barber, you know, get their shit trimmed up every week, and they'd get a little extra witch hazel. And they'd be like, ooh, got you a little extra witch hazel. Like, a little extra alcohol on the right. face or whatever. And I'm like, what? Crazy. So let me ask you another thing. I don't. I know I've probably asked you this before, but it would be a nice review. So, you set your um, maybe you left like an inch ash on your thing, whatever. Um, at one time, when I relight up, maybe I've left it for a while, and when you light it, you get a little bit of that um, um, afterburn or charcoaly taste yeah. or. Do you ever blow out? Blow that out? Uh, I'm I've done it and I feel like it, it it's uh it's it's not a bad deal. So again, this will be a consciously thing. When I relight a cigar, I, I do not purge it. Um, because I just know that there was an ash there. 
the first thing you're going to taste, you are going to get some of the, the grittiness, the smokiness, and then you'll get back to the flavor build and everything like that. Um, but is there anything against but that? No, actually, I, I think it's... it's um, and I'm not talking about a five-minute leave. No, oh, I'll, I'll come even, back to my cigar five minutes later, and it's still perfect. Yeah, no, no. I'll, 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 even tell you, I'll even tell you this. Like, uh, when I had first heard about that, everybody told me that if you, if you purge the cigar, when I was talking to some guys, they were like, it'll get rid of the impurities of the lighter you use. And I was like, bullshit. So I grabbed a Zippo, lit it, lit the cigar, right? And you know those fumes come through the cigar. But I lit the cigar backwards. So I purged the cigar, let the heat light the tobacco, purged the cigar. When it started cherrying, I pulled it away and smoked it, and never one time tasted any of the fluid from the Zippo. Yeah, so if you don't hear him, you're lying. I'll show you what I'm talking about. Because my softly will blow out. But if you... So I was blowing out the whole time. I wasn't blowing yeah. it. You can light the cigar that way. And I didn't taste any, any of the Zippo fluid. You know Zippo fluid, when you light it, you get that. It's not gas, it's not oil, but Zippo fluid has a, a scent, you know. Well, that's interesting. Now, this... These are good fucking cigars. Yeah, those are not a little bad. Those are not bad. This cigar... Hey, dude, Rojas is that... Uh, you know what else Rojas does? Stolen Throne. That's what I was trying to tell you earlier. Rojas blends Stolen Throne. Crook of the Crown, and then the... Uh, oh, really? It's all the same company? Yeah. Well, not the same company. Stolen Throne's a company. Rojas does the blending for it. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. They're out of Dallas, I think. Austin, maybe. Oh. Yeah. This cigar shape um, is is a box press, but it's kind of like a slight octagon. Really? Like it is a box press, is there a fifth but it's rounded time? on the uh, sides a little. See what I'm saying? It's like a little. Yeah, it's a uh, uh, soft. It's not a true press. octagon, yeah. but it is a soft round on this cigar. Uh, Scotty was out last night at, at Lit. Scott Biancardi, you know, that's the all cigars. Um, he rolled out some burritos, which are pretty cool. You know, when we sat there with the channel that day, he broke down the individual binder yeah. filler wrapper. He did some binder filler stuff yesterday. He's got a little cool Lancero thing going. It's more like a Corona, a double Corona, maybe. No, it's not quite a Lancero, it's a little thicker than it needs to be, but, um, was was definitely cool. Uh, Kenny Coleman, uh, we we got to try this bourbon pursuit stuff. We'll do it. We'll do it next week. But it's uh, so Kenny Coleman is uh, you know that bourbon podcast I sent you like five years ago, the Bourbon Pursuit. It's got Fred Menick on there. These guys are sponsored by Heaven Hill, uh, Sazerac, Jim Beam. They're the ones that I played that episode where they sat down with the the uh, craft barrel dad and son. And they were talking about how they go to MGP and they, they blend 26 blends and then they just tasted through them. Wow. And then did it again and then they found the five they wanted to release that, that quarter. Wow. And then they released them. I don't them. remember That's that. That's how they do that. 
So. Man, that was a good cigar. Very good cigar. Rojas Street Taco Carditos. It was good. Let me see what's next. God, this is just a good forest in there. No uh, sense in not finishing hey, that. Do this cruzado. So I will share some fun crap and drilling news. You got one in your humidor there, I saw it, but uh Moon Tower might be ready a little earlier than we thought. I think I've got a Moon Tower with You do, I saw it, that's why I said that. Um I've been smoking on it. I've had about three in the past month. And man, they're they're not there. They're not there yet. But they're we we may see it late twenty three and not twenty four. It just it's. And what it's about? Are we supposed to be getting some uh, bellicosas? We do have bellicoso samples um, for a cyclops rendition in bellicoso. Um, they're coming. Okay. It's just. They're rolled, right? So this it's a completely new build on the cigar, so they are rolled. Um, we don't want those directly fresh. They do need to sit for a moment. Just get, they roll them up, wrap them, and send them. It's, you know. Right. We can hold them and sit on them, or we just they sit in the secret shelves, and then they come, and, and then we get into them, and then we'll, we'll know exactly what we're kind of contracting into to build out. So. Oh, get in the hole. Get in the hole. Wow. Um, well, tell me about this cigar I'm smoking because I'm just kind of dumbfounded right at this point. So, uh, so you, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I mean, I'm a foundation fan, but I don't dive in, but it's the Almec. Oh, okay. um, that was the PCA release last year, or it got announced at PCA. Uh, it's in five or six different box press. That's the Gordo, I think. Five or six, or three or four different box press sizes. I like the size. Um, I like everything about it. I, I think it's a good cigar. I did enjoy it. The problem is I've smoked it three times. Twice, it started falling apart. Once, it smoked down to less than a half inch. and was just rich, spicy, hearty, fun, you know? Um, it's, it honestly reminds me if the HVT seed that he does, um, the Tabernacle, if it would have done th the Red Label Tabernacle, the Connecticut seed, if, it's almost like it's that cigar high octane and a bigger, bigger uh, bipolar. But the label and everything is a little, <coughs> I can tell you, it's a little different than what they typically do. And the same time we bought this, or a different time, I bought another, I bought like three of this other Tabernacle that we got out of Blue Leggers. And I absolutely love that cigar. And it seemed the labeling of that particular cigar was in line. This one's kind of, it's a little more boutique looking. Um, and Olmec, what, what does that mean? Does anybody know? I'm looking right now. Because I don't know that. 
his stories are always fun too, so there's definitely a reason for it. Tribute to the ancient Mesoamerican people which inhabited the San Andreas Valley, Valley in Veracruz where its cigar tobacco is grown. For the Olmec people. Yeah, because it's like a stone statuette of something from South America. I'm not saying Mayan, but something maybe similar uh, in the, the head that's on the... So I figured it was something like that. And of course I could have Googled it, whatever, but this was last minute um, and, and I pulled this. But it's interesting to find out about it because it looks very batiki, but then when you really get down and look at it, it looks like a Mayan uh, head or something from South America, kind of. Well, that would make sense. Right. So I'm getting ready to fire up um, a Cruzado from Illusion. Um, this is the double bellicoso. So it's got a kind of short little bellicoso cap on the top. Um, I've had this for a little while, a couple years at least, I think. I don't know. Silence that damn thing. I love you. Well, it's our shitty chat group that started all of a sudden. Uh, yep, it's, it's our it's our friend group. Um, oh yeah, because guess where our mad Russian is? He's down at the pitch. Yes, I knew it. And I want to go to that pub. I think it's really good. I know it's supposed to be amazing. Well, I've seen uh, a special on it, and it looks fantastic. I don't know why we weren't all in tune. That'd have been a fun place to go to. But he's not smoking any cigars there. I'm damn sure of that. It's funny you said that. He just said, I wish they had a cigar room in here. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I think I'm starting a lighter collection, dude. You're starting? Well, like actual monetary value of a lighter collection. Things that pieces that are worth. You know what I mean? So I've got I've got a couple more of the um, Dupont uh, soft flames, the Linnés. Um, I was able to find the fire and ember one, so I picked that up. I've got another. I've got the gold 007 rendition coming, um, and then I found a German company that makes these pipe lighters, and I got one of their soft flames that came in. It was supposed to arrive DHL today, but I want to create a like a yo because I don't collect cigars. I don't collect whiskeys, right? Like it's hard to find something on the shelf that's not open. You know what I mean? But then like, anytime we're at one of our houses, it's like, yeah, just go in the humidor and get something, right? Like, it's there. It doesn't matter if it's open, closed, just grab it and smoke it. I want to build something that, like, lighters last forever, you know? And they work, so I'm doing it. I'm in, I'm four lighters deep. I may have to retire this guy and put it away, but. So I'll tell you a funny, not <laughs> funny little thing last night. I probably, I, and, and I don't know, I'm going to put a number on it, but let's say uh, 12 years ago, I bought, uh, and I want to say it was at Lucas 
out in Wildwood. Oh, before it became a, what is that now? Dogwood? Yeah, it, it was in a completely different strip mall. Anyway, I went in there and it was probably on a visit to Zick because we like Willie Nelson, me and him have seen him a couple times. And I bought a box of Whiskey River and it was a box of six year Whiskey River. Um, Bottles? It was a bottle in a box. Okay. And it, um, it was a six year Whiskey River um, promoted through Willie Nelson, had a guitar pick on the bottle and a CD in the box. Right. Um, I bought two of them. I drank the whole bottle. I thought it was really good. I, I was really not in tune to looking at everything. Anyway, the box has been sitting on my shelf 12 years or whatever. And um, I don't know what sparked my interest to look it up last night, but I looked it up last night and just the bottle, just the bottle without the box and packaging, whatever. What do you think it's worth today? Six thousand. Sixty-five hundred. <laughs> nice. I can't believe it. Have you had it? I had, yeah, I drank a whole bottle of it. Oh, you have five bottles left? I have one bottle in oh. a box, pristine. Oh, it was like a, a, a box set. No, there were, it was a box. So I bought two of them, and we opened the box, and me and Zick drank a bottle. Um, and I had it for a while, and shared it with people. Um, anyway, come to find out, I look, I went down last night, opened it up, and looked at it, and guess who produces it? MGP. Heaven Hill. Oh, no shit. So it's the six-year Heaven Hill. No wonder it's me. Ain't no white label, though. <laughs> well, I don't know because I don't have any uh, to compare it to. I got some. Some Whiskey River? No, I got six here. Well, I was just saying, we don't have any Whiskey River to uh, compare it to some of the other, which Heaven Hill, and I could be wrong, I don't, I'd have to look this up, do a little research, but I think Heaven Hill puts out um, such a wide variety of bonded, you know, six, uh, four-year Heaven Hill products for a lot of people. Um, more bonded products than probably any other distillery out there, which is just amazing to me. Now, you know, Heaven Hill was probably in the forefront, and now MGP. Um, I don't know if they've overtaken them, but God, there's just an immense amount of product that comes out of MGP. And of course, Heaven Hill does a staggering amount as well, but that kind of was really surprising to me to see on the back of the bottle through Heaven Hill, which is cool, cool, good product. Had no idea it gained in value that much. And I looked online for a half an hour, did not see one in the original packaging. I'm sure they're out there, but. Just really interesting, very interesting. And by the way, I was drawing on that Olmec. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I think Olmec. Yeah. You got it. So anyway, that was really interesting. I also have a bottle of tequila um, in a very artsy-fartsy box. Tequila! And uh, I'm going to have to show it to you the next time. I've had that for 
I want to say 20 something years now, and it's an art collector's box. That's what should totally drink it. I need, to, I need to take a look at that and see what. The, I also have like a half gallon of white Patron with that white kind of like B on it. Are you trying to like flip bottles now or something? No, I just was like all of a sudden, you, you know, whore. You have something sitting on a shelf and it's been down there for 10 years, and then all of a sudden you're like, wow, I haven't looked at that, or is that still anything? You know, worth looking at or checking on, and wow. So we got a, we do got a shout out too. So our ashtrays that we're using and we're leaving at our shops and everything like that. Um, Woodworks SBL is his father and son team that I talked about it last week that did up these ashtrays. We got we got more coming next week. Um, these things are great. I think the quality of them is amazing. Beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. And they hold up well, man. I'd actually like to go and see how they make them. You know, we could do that. We can work that. Yeah. Well, we want to get we want to get them on, but they they uh, both do they do something obviously, but um, it uh no, they're they're great, man. They're coming out. They're actually the new ones that are coming are a very dark wood, uh, a new kind of wood they're working with, and then uh, in a couple months we're actually going to have elongated ashtrays. What if we could get them some stage to work with? Uh, we can do it. I mean, I don't know. They, they hand carve this stuff, so. I mean, I'm sure they could. I'm sure they could. You know, I don't know the first thing about woodworking, but. Well, wood is wood. Uh, I mean, I see even give them some wood off my old barn down there. Mm hmm. And let them whittle a couple down there for us. That'd be kind of cool. Have some memorabilia off the old farmhouse. You know, there are some times when you smoke a cigar, it doesn't matter who it is or where it's from. Um, I've never pretended, and I don't think that, I don't think there are very many, there are probably very, very, very few people in the world um, that can grab a cigar, smoke it, and tell you the region in which it comes from, what country developed it, where the tobaccos originated, so on and so forth, right? But when you smoke enough from certain companies within the same area, you just know what you're smoking. You know what I mean? Well, if you said Nicaragua, you got probably a 50-50 shot that that's probably what it is. True, I understand it, but I'm, a I'm actually mean the taste on this. Like, I'm yeah. lighting this thing up, I'm smoking into it. You know, this, this guy is at least two years old, I think, at least. Um, I found this under a bunch of fucking Padron stuff, so, but, um, I thought I had some unicorn padrone. I was like, oh, sh uh, it's illusion. Not sad, but not super sad. Um, I think I have one of those in my box these? as well. Yes. Yeah. And I think I got it from Sheldon one night at his place. Maybe. Yeah, I get these. Uh, a red, uh, it's in a red foil. No, that's the Ahe uh, Pepper Mom stuff. That's the pepper stuff. Yeah, check yeah. It's got a, uh, when you look at it, it's going to have a honeycomb and a little bee on it, and it's red. That's the jalapeno or whatever. Yeah, I don't think so. But um, there is no, there's no red illusion. Okay. Well, yeah. that can definitely make a difference. Yeah. Um, but what I meant by that is I'm just smoking it, and it's it's comfortable. It's there. It's like, yeah, this is this is good Nicaraguan play. This size so much reminds me of Aganorsa's signature selection from 19. 
you remember that Aganorsa? It was a Corojo layout, 99, 98 Corojo, that had that silver band and the gold foil on the bottom of it? Yeah. And it came in that double bellicoso. I love that cigar. We smoked it a few times together years ago. I have like, I have two left. And I'm just waiting until, for some reason, I don't know. It might just be a night we're hanging out, I don't know. Um, it reminds me so much of that. This just has those typical, you know, if, if you're looking at a Tatawai tattoo, right? $5 cigar, long filler, short age, fermented, ready to roll. You get tannings or leather, right? Whatever you go with that, yeah. right? My leather and tanning taste is a little bit of oak. Okay, that's what I'm kind of addressing that to is oak. There's a very little bit of spice. There's this silky and creamy is really what I'm attributing to smoke in Nicaragua of late. It, it's all there. And then it's, you know, it's a solid cigar, just starting. It, it's it, it's comfortable as soon as it starts. You know, I don't have to guess what's going on in the cigar. Those tastes are so prevalent and, and remembered that it's almost like a, a data bank is open and, oh, this is what you have, this is what you know. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I have to go to the box. Okay. So we'll get the Bourbon Cowboy on this when we come back in, but I, I want to kind of talk about uh, how often do you move around through brands? You know, I get a, I get this question a lot of times and it's like, well, how come you don't only smoke Kraft Imperial product? And it's, my answer is, is, is very simple. You know, I'm a, I'm a retail tobacconist, it's what I do. I, I enjoy the entire process of meeting somebody, whether we've met for the first time or the 1,000th time, I like to take every time that we step into a humidor is the next new meeting because, yes, you know, people, like, I do it from time to time. You've heard me talk about it a lot. I Sometimes I get hooked on a cigar, and I'll smoke that cigar daily for weeks on end, and then I'll forget about it for a while, or I won't come back to it for a while. I just kind of stay away from it. Uh, because something else may have got my attention or an event came up and you start delegating your time here or there or, or, or whatever. Um, but I, I feel it's my responsibility, even if I don't enjoy it, even if I don't want to smoke it, I have to. Because if, if you come into a humidor and we're talking about it and I have not smoked a cigar um, and I just start spewing things out, you know, it's very easy to read about a cigar and then just regurgitate what you read. You know, just spit it back out. That's that's easy. But the the personal the personal moment that you have when you're telling someone about the cigar and why you did or you did not like it, perhaps that those those moments create a new meeting between two people, and it makes it interesting when you come to talk about the product. It's what creates not just sales and not just experience, but It'll build, build, build trust, or even excitement, or, or even uh, weariness, right? Like, ooh, what if he steers me wrong, right? Like, oh, I'm waiting to be stirred wrong. But I, that's, that's why I don't smoke just craft and pure all the time, you know. Um, that's why. So I want you to jump in on this question here. So if someone had asked me, why do you not only smoke craft and pure cigars? And I gave my reasoning, so. Well, <clears throat> I think because of obvious reasons, because 
one, we have a podcast where we talk about bourbon and cigars. So, and I think, um, and especially after meeting you and the knowledge you have of cigars and getting to try different cigars has just expanded my knowledge of different different cigars, different companies, different blends. It just expands your knowledge so, you know, you can talk a little bit about it and give other people who may not, may not have the opportunity to smoke different cigars a little just kind of a, you a little more technical, me a little more blue collar, you know, just basics of what I'm getting out of a cigar. So, I mean, I think that's why I do it. And um, to be able to have a discussion and be a little bit more um, knowledgeable about different cigars. Yeah. And to follow that up, I think it's, it's, it goes back to, you know, if, if the whole idea that no original idea is an original idea, right? You know, it's, you want to know what's going on. And, and we've talked about this before. Neither one of us have, have family history in, in South America or even in, in North America and the tobacco re, re, uh, retailing and, and the history of, of the United States and, or even overseas and everything like that. And um, so we're, we're fans first. Right, that we are we are fanboys first, you know. I mean, I've I've got my favorite cigars, you know. Um, it would be it would be unfair and wrong of me if I said that when I was doing the blending on our product, there weren't certain memories of cigars that I was trying to do the best I could to recreate inside those blends. I'd be lying to you if I told you that, because I was. That's what I was trying to do. I was trying to build them out that way. They're not the same thing. In no way are they the same thing. Never will they be the same thing. But there are nuances through those cigars that every time we smoke them, I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I'm actually, and where this goes down the road a little bit, I would like to, most of the time, me and you talk about a cigar and what we bled, um, me and you talk about it and, and most of it comes from me telling you what I like and, and us talking about it and then you go and, and talk to them and we come up with a blend but I would like to come to you and say hey I'd like to put together a blend and, and talk to you about it and let's get it and see what I've come up with a hundred percent I would like to do that I'm not there yet this segues a conversation I wanted to open up to kind of build out a backstory on a project that is coming uh, possibly by the end of the year probably next year but as the owners of craft and puro we would like to announce the old ones Okay. Yeah. Oh, gee. This is something I've been I've been sitting on since the moment the idea came together with with you and I when you brought it up. Just those those three words. Um, we're gonna do some very costly creative things inside this venture, which will be a I think initially probably a three or four cigar thing. But it may end up being a whole series of things. But well, this is how it kind of came about because I've been we when we started this series, and initially we just wanted to have a, a, a good cigar that we could talk about and have with our podcast. But 
obviously because of our um, love for cigars and whatever, it's grown into now a series that we call the Black and White series that me and Mark put together. But I've been always thinking about everything that I see out there, everything that I know and experience. And um, I, I just think about, and a lot of my artwork that I do in my head, a lot of the thought process is early in the morning or late at night when I'm laying in bed. And I start thinking about this and then all of a sudden I've had a couple of dreams about a label and a cigar line um, called The Old Ones. And this came to me and I started thinking about it and now I have no idea where The Old Ones is. I, I'm not saying like historic figures or whatever. Well, that's, it, the, that's the beautiful part about it. I'm not where that is yet, right. but I have something way. in the back of my head a little bit the about where I want to go with it. The beautiful part of the idea, and then I want you to continue, is that the old ones, right? We, we've already sat around, we've talked about not using Greek or Norse gods, not using historical figures, not using um, you know important figures over time. We've thrown around all these crazy fun ideas, but the old ones will translate both between the labeling and packaging, but also the time spent into the cigars. Right? And then you keep on. Yeah, yeah. well, um, I, I, I don't know. I just, I think it's a great start to an idea that we can work through in our heads and talk about and think about how we can have fun with it and how it could be exciting and maybe relevant and maybe nuanced to something that people haven't thought about or brings them back to a beginning of where they thought about something or what they've heard about and um, and, and that can somehow we can bring that through a great cigar and i think we will and and you know the story is always what's really important it's one thing that when when i know for myself when i started really getting into like i don't have a, a crazy creative artistic bone in my body um i'm not an artist like the cowboy is I, I can't i don't generate music um i i attach to tobacco that's what i did i uh um, I very much enjoy tobacco. I, I've never been bored of the process. I guess you could say whiskey has now become that as well. I've, I've been studying and playing around and got some ideas we'll toss around on here because they're not proven yet, but things that I think would be fun. And, and they, they could just be complete horseshit. You, you don't know, right? That's why you, it's always good to bounce an idea because if it doesn't get bounced back at you and it gets knocked down, you know it's a bad idea. Uh, but um, I guess not always, anyway. Uh, with the cigars, the, the, the main idea in, in this old ones is that these will be very well aged cigars and we're currently working with, with, with our blenders and we're, we're sourcing and playing and trying to find a minimum of around three and a half years uh, just for some first samples, just to, to, to see what we think um, but I wanted to segue that in because with these old ones uh, we won't do this the way we did the first launch of Craft and Pure there will be two cigars that fire at the same time but 
the idea that I that I have, and I want to share this open and live with everybody, is that I want you to blend one, and I'll blend one, and those will be the first two old ones that hit the market. You know what I mean? Obviously, we'll still run our QC together and make sure that oh, we both yeah, enjoy yeah, yeah. them and so on and so forth. Not not just not just a blind blame and ship. Right. Right, you know. But yeah, no, I'm I'm very excited about it. You know, I don't I don't think that uh um the the, the, the Cyclops, the Hooligan and the Reaper, we have been very, very pleased with those and I know everyone's enjoyed and we're very thankful for all of that. But I don't think we're gonna add another black and white series rollout. I think those three kind of stand their own element. The Moon Tower is is it's it, again, it was an oops that, that happened and we just, it went over well, so we contracted it back to, to make it available. Uh, but I think the, the newest that you will see from Craft and Bureau, uh, you'll start seeing more on this the old ones. Um, and I'm excited about it because I don't even know what the artwork's gonna look like yet. I have no idea. This is what makes this relationship so much fun is, is I don't know. <laughs> we got a name, we have a name. Yeah. But I don't know a damn thing about what it's going to look like. I don't know what's going on in your head. Well, you'll listen to some music one night. You'll text me and go, check this out. And there'll be something on a napkin sideways, crooked. But, you know, it looks great. Yeah, I, I've got the name and I've got the thought process of kind of what I thought for a series. Because let me tell you, if you've been, you know, you talk about all this stuff that we've seen, especially in the boutique line, of what they come up from, like fishing lures to um, old old bomb artwork off of fighter jets. I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on. And so to come up with, um, and I'm not even saying it's an original thought, but it is a little skew that I think we could do something really interesting and maybe a little different with that might be exciting so that was my thought bringing it up to you and i didn't know how you would take it but you did you really liked the idea and i think we're just going to keep moving forward with it and see yeah. what we can develop and it's going to be it's going to be a fun process and i and the reason i want to do this now is I, I if you guys remember if you go back to the first episode of the podcast with this terrible recording equipment and the nine people that were talking all at once we discussed the release and the thought of these blends we were doing with Craft Imperial. You know, and even back then that was supposed to be a cigar for us. We weren't supposed to be selling that, you know what I mean? But then we smoked it, we and don't, enjoyed don't it. Say, and, and here, I don't want to interrupt you, but no, don't no. say that you're not a creative person because you are. You, I was really, because when we were thinking of a name for the podcast and what we were thinking about, you came up with Craft Puro, and that's the first thing you hit me with. And I liked it. And I mean, well, to be honest, I, in that same conversation, I told you if we did a podcast, that'd be pure craftsmanship. And I took craft and yeah, and but either way, I like it, it, and I think it is suited us, uh, suited us well. And um, so I mean, that was a, a good idea that you came up with. So it's not like <laughs> hey, I got one. <laughs> hey, I named my like dogs too, but you know, ah. no. But <laughs> No, I just mean it's it's, it's sometimes you got to really pay you got to you got to pay it forward to 
the, the, the quote niftiness of things that can be done, right? Like, you know, an established artist is an established artist. They've got tenure, they're there. And a qualified musician, whether you're doing bandstands or orchestra or you're the lead man at a show, if you're selling out stadiums, you've done it, man. You're obviously a musician. It doesn't matter whether people like you or not. If you're selling out Madison Square Garden, somebody likes you, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. But then there's things like, I'll never forget the first time we sat down, like the first time you came over and you were going through the humidor, like you were you were trying different things, doing this, doing that. Yeah, you were a 60 ring gauge guy. And I had you smoking, I think everything was under 52 for six months before you and I sat down finally smoked the 60 that you enjoyed. What's that tatuaje um, longer than a Lonsdale that we had? Tano's. Yeah. Uh, that blew my mind yep. when I smoked that yep. the other day. So I have an Escazos tea for you. I'll, I'll tell you this. Like, I've smoked Escazos before and I had never actually smoked the tea, the Tano's size. Uh, one of the members at Lit, uh, Lynn, was asking me, he's like, well, you're a big tat guy. I'm like, yeah. He's one of my favorite companies, has been, you know, since 2011, right? Um, he goes, have you ever smoked uh, Escazos tea? I'm like, well, I've smoked Escazos Bellicoso, but, you know, it's... He goes, nah, I got you one. So he brought me one, and now I hunt those damn cigars. It's just something about the size, the exposure of the wrapper that you get, it creates something very different. Um, but what I was saying is, it's like... You know, you look at the hard work people put into things that, that don't always get recognized, right? The first time you came over and you saw the cigars and you and I sat down and started talking about cigars, I think you realized my involvement in tobacco, right? And then one night we're sitting at your house and we go down to the couch bar and you're like, oh, hey, you know I used to paint? And I'm like, oh, yeah. I tried to buy your paintings from you and you wouldn't sell them to me. You remember this, you know this is true. Well, but then you're the but then you're the same guy that goes, hey, look at this painting I bought downtown from this artist, and I'm like, dude, you've, do you not even look at your own shit? Like, <laughs> yeah, look down, bro. Like you have it; it's there. Yeah, I think you you have some ability, but then you look for inspiration mm-hmm. through other artists, and you, you know see why? what they're doing, because and you're no just like, no ideas, an original idea, and I'm painting in my head all the time. Now, uh, a part of that. I, I feel like I cheat myself because I should do more drawing. I think I will eventually. But um, anyway, yeah. It's all in the inspiration and seeing different things and being around different things and looking at it and feeling it and seeing just what pops up in your head. I mean, it's just like songwriting. Um, oh, yeah? Do you write songs? Huh? I don't write songs. I've, I've kind of thought about it and then I try to give it a I kind of direct music because like, I do tell Alexa to play what I want to hear so I'm kind of a director if you think about it right? kind of a judge the song thing I'm just pretty much like no I'm not going to get involved with that no. because I just heard a new song by Chris uh, uh, Chris Stapleton about a dog and I played it for my wife right it's country what do you expect Sorry, she just starts crying and it's with um <clears throat> I'm not going to get to it. But anyway, it's just no. like, this guy just sat down and wrote a song about a damn dog, and it's fantastic. I just can't believe it. <laughs> Found a damn pup in a shopping cart on a parking lot, and then, you know, dogs with him the rest of the year. Oh, my God. Yeah. Stuff. It's just great. Anyway, 
but no, we'll see what happens with that. So I, I do want to tell you this. I want to come back to the show real quick. This cruzado, this has that kind of cotton mouth dry spice to it. So like my tongue is serenaded in in spices, right? There, there's a little bit of saltiness there, but it's got a big pepper grind to it. But the smoke on this thing, what killed, what what I like about this is see how there's no smoke resonating right now. Yeah. Lit? This is just a draw. All the body is saved for your palate. When you draw the smoke in, you taste the cigar. This thing does not burn on its own. You've got to cook it to keep it going. That's just that's well-aged construction. That's that's proper placement for the, the time of, of, of burn, I guess you would say. These are things that fascinate me about a cigar. Is like I've wondered, when you look at a cigar, you know, obviously, you know, I've used this reference before. People ask about, well, what makes a cigar burn? Why can't you, excuse me, why can't you do this much of this much of this? And I'm like, well, think about this. You've taken a piece of a paper towel roll and lit it on fire, right? Now, have you ever tried to take an entire roll of paper towels and light it on fire? Uh, quite frankly, I don't think I No, have. I have. It doesn't burn. Because there's not enough oxygen oxygen flowing to the ignition point, right? So you have to blend the tobacco in proper proportions where combustion can take place. If there's too much moisture in one spot, it's not going to burn. If there's not enough moisture in another spot, it's going to burn too fast, right? That's the, the talent of people that are rolling them. But for a cigar that right now is emitting no smoke, nothing is coming off the cigar. It, it's still lit. Yeah. It saves all of the flavor, all of the smoke for your palate. Right? I'm not crazy. Well, when we were talking about cigars earlier, I, I was really kind of wanting to talk about a little bit too about there just has to be such a special um, relationship to great cigars with great rollers too. I mean, they're, I mean, when you roll thousands and thousands, I mean, some people dedicate their whole life to rolling cigars. A lot of people dedicate their whole lives. And so, I mean, there has to be something said about the rollers saying, you know, that is something that is extremely unique about certain uh, cigar companies that have just exquisite Oh, it's absolutely, absolutely unique. Absolutely unique, right? You can't, you know, um, it's a, you know, actually, I'll, I'll put Scott in here for, for SDL cigars, right? Scott's not spending his time in factories every day in Nicaragua, Dominican Republic, anywhere like that. He's not, but he has taken the time. But he to, has. To, but he has. But he has. Yeah. But to take his time to learn the art of rolling a cigar. He, I mean, I was listening to him last night, just, just watching him, staring at him, and it's uncomfortable, but I'm watching him, and he was even discussing left to right-handed leaves, understanding veinage, understanding which way to roll the scar, why not every scar rolls the same direction. He knows every single format that goes into play, or every, every step that comes into, from a filling motion to a binding motion to a wrapping. He, he understands all of it, right? Now, my point is it's the same guy that'll look at me and tell me I smoke more cigars than he does. 
you know. But he he understands that, and and this is where it's very unique, right? I understand those tobaccos, okay. I I, I understand the, the the delicacy percentages. What does what? I don't know what a final blend will be, right? Because I'm not involved in purito tasting and things like that. But I understand percentages that are being used. But I can't sit down and bunch, bind, and roll a cigar. I can't. But Scott's been doing this for over a decade, probably almost two decades. He can do all of that, right? He has, when I watch him roll a cigar and it comes out fresh and it's done, down to a pigtail and a shagged foot. He's an individual that could get up, move to one of these countries. He could step right into a rolling floor and do his job if he wanted to. You know, but when you look, there's a promotionary standard inside these rolling factories, right? You know, the, the, the people that roll Lanceros aren't the ones rolling Robustos. People rolling Figurados are not the ones rolling Toros. You know, because there's a, there's a bit of delicacy that's involved in the creation of the final product, right? If you get the, if you get the, if there's, you know, you can roll a Lancero that's all 38 millimeter. But if you use too much tobacco, yes, it'll still be a 38 millimeters, but it may be too tight. Oh, absolutely. You know? I try to reference out with people, I'm like, look, you can fit a lot into a box. Now there's fitting it into a box, or there's packing the box. <laughs> do you pack the box, or do you fill the box? You know, think about that inside, inside tobacco. Right. You know? You can maybe even draw that over to the whiskey side where guys like you and I and, and a lot of other people, women as well, enjoy high proof product. But I would almost be willing to bet for every two of us that enjoy 125 plus, there's 50 that enjoy 86 and 90. Yeah. You think? Maybe? Well, I'm sitting here, and we're still drinking Old Forester at 128 proof, mm -hmm. and I'm still sitting here dumbfounded how goddamn smooth it is. And it's sweet. It's sweet. But it's the perfect sweet. Yes. It's not, like, overly sweet. Like it's not I had a, syrup sweet, but it's not... I had, um, for the first time, I went to Rosalita's last night, and I had a enchilada, and the meat in there was super sweet. And I'm like, what the hell is this? And I said, like, I said, I, I eat here pretty regularly. I've never had an enchilada this sweet. And um, so I'm just saying there's a sweetness, um, but yet it's very mild. It's just a hint of sweet. And, um, yeah, so anyway, I, I totally get it. Well, this is a definitely a good cigar. I can tell this is right in the foundation line. Um, and we have smoked these on and off for a long time. And um, I, I, the Russian, I think, first got like, I want to say these look like treasure chests, but they were more like well, you got wooden, the, beautiful the tackle boxes that tenth, opened up. And the they were five on every sleeve. Yeah. Are on every shelf. Those short perfectos. And they were yeah. either Goliath or David's or whatever, and they were I think like. He, he bought David. He never got a Goliath chest. 
I think. Well, because he bought, I don't know, three or four yeah. of those boxes. But he was kind of the first one that brought to the forefront the foundation for us. And uh, we're still smoking them. And they're oh, JT. Really Money. Sorry, you hold that out. That was great. But, again, I, if listen, for our listeners, I still have a full-time job working. We do the podcast. We get out and see our, our, I have a full-time uh, job. our teams. I know. I was getting there. Okay. <laughs> Jesus. Anyway, I'm just saying, kind of I wish off. we had time. God, I would love to go down and spend time. And we've said this before. How do you get, like, how do you blend that 128 so where it is so smooth there's a technique of how you bring uh, different barrels together to get a 128 barrel proof to come out that smooth well how about this that's a single single barrel project so that was one barrel what's fun about that and and this is where i argue you know most people like to argue that that wine and tobacco are the most close if you talk about from seed and ground to finished product, it can Yeah, they're about the same. But when you talk about creativity and the most minute, different expression, so close to each other, there's nothing more together than tobacco and whiskey. Whether it's scotch, Irish, whatever, whiskey. If you have that barrel right there, 128, 125? Yep, 128. 128. Who says that they taste that barrel and they were like, hmm, that one's there. Now, maybe the next barrel was 124. Hmm, it was there. Then the next barrel was 132. It's there. Well, either way, I'd like for somebody to take me around the barrels and whatever and show me that and see how that all happens, how it transpires. I'd love to be a part of that process and, and enjoy it and see it. And a hundred percent. I need to just do it. Quit talking about it. Yeah, we do. Well, I mean, we I kind of we know a guy. We know a couple guys. We just go do it locally. But you know. Yeah, but I want to get up in the Rick House. I want to go to that shiny barrel and the guy show me. This is one of our shiny barrels, and this one. Is okay. So what I want you to do is I want you to eat seven cheeseburgers a day for the next seventeen weeks. And then we'll take you out and we'll get you a shiny barrel. <laughs> don't remember the story on shiny barrel? Yeah, The I do. belly's rubbing on it. Yeah. The wood looks shiny. Yeah, that was a joke. I get it. Uh, but I want to go mind. experience it. Well, I don't have to have the shiny, shiny belly <laughs> to go around with a guy and say, hey, like, how does this happen? I, mean, I want to see it. Thing. I want to feel it. I want to taste it right out of the barrel. I, I want to do all that. I, I just want to experience it. There's something about being there and doing it and seeing. A hundred percent. You you can't argue being in the moment when it's happening, right? It's like sometime in this year we are going to work out our trip to both the DR and the in Nicaragua in the same ten day span um, to see both of the factories operating that we work with. Um, but um, it yeah. It, it's always fun for me, and it's you know I've said one thing that that I think you've caught on to that a lot of people have fallen into is like in this industry the the spirit and premium tobacco industry 
the moment you think you have it figured out, you become the most ignorant individual in the room. Because this never stops changing, right? It was always fun. Like you witnessed the first time you and I sat down with Luciano. I introduced you to Luciano the first time. Yeah. How him and I were going back and forth on tobacco. We were just talking tobacco. And then I mentioned something about sun-grown wrapper and what it does to a cigar. And he stopped and he said, well, which wrapper is being sun-grown? And I went, oh, shit. T typically, Habano's a sun-grown wrapper. He goes, well, what if you sun-grew Connecticut wrapper? And I went, well, oh, shit, Connecticut wrapper's technically sun-grown. Oh, you know what I mean? And then, you know, like when he broke down the, the, the one of the, probably the fourth, fifth time you'd met him, we were sitting outside of Lit, and we had him sitting out there rolling the burritos, and we were going through Mil Diaz, and it's different forms. It became this, you know, I was just starstruck as any fucking buddy else. I can't, I, I, I don't have tobaccos laying around. I understood what he was doing, but I didn't understand why he was doing it until we did it, and then we smoked it, and it went, dang always being open for discussion and learning I feel like makes you um, a more expansive person the minute you tell me you know I feel like you've gotten small um, yeah. so you and yeah. saying that as much as you know right now you don't know anything tells me that you're no. understanding the process that we're forever learning and the expansion of what you can learn is always there and that makes you better. You know, there there are many references that we can pull from that, right? It's like, for example, when we were sitting with uh, Travis from Altinus and we were doing uh, the podcast at Lit that night and he was talking about his super tasting technique. You know, you know me, you know how I talk. I'm not one of these super tasters. I'm not, I'm not a taste component, body, paragraph layout individual. I'm, I'm talking about the integrity of the cigar, the build of the cigar, the body, the strength, but I'm not trying to give you a menu of what you're gonna taste in the cigar. Even in that moment, as ridiculous as I thought it was uh, uh, afterward, we ran through the whole tasting method. Now, now, did I taste more of the cigar? Yes, I did. And you remember what happened that night? Yeah, we chugged and laughed. Well, no, what, the, the curious thing for me was, is when me and you were really trying to look at things, I closed my eyes and I'm uh, taking the smoke in and he had some different varieties of things that he does. And just closing to the eyes is something that I do all the time. And I had no idea that that was a technique, but then he was like, yeah, that's a technique that you're unconsciously doing that you know nothing about. That's a great technique to, um, take in the smoke and actually pull flavors from it and it helps when you close your eyes. I didn't know that, I was just doing that unconsciously, um, which is fun. I always find it fun when I'm doing something unconsciously and then somebody says, oh, well that's a good technique, we use it. Did you know that was a technique? Hell no, I didn't know that. No. Just doing know. it unconsciously. Yeah. So my, my, my point is is that the, the more receptive you are to ideas, whether they're whether you think they're right or they're wrong, whether you believe that you are more endowed or, or, or more intelligent than the conversation in place, be receptive because I, I firmly believe that you learn more. 
you learn more from people that don't know as much as you than you do that people know more than you. And the reason for that is creativity or, or ideology comes from people that don't know a lot. So they're trying to, in their best way, articulate or create a scenario in which you'll understand what's going on. And I've learned so much more from that side, not to discount the professionals and people who've been in this a very long time, because that knowledge is endless on that end, right? But to the, and when I say uneducated, I'm not being rude, but to the uneducated in tobacco, sometimes they ask certain questions that spark, and you're like, well, damn, I never thought of it that way. Or they go, man, I, I, I was trying to cut it this way, I didn't cut it that way, and it actually ended up smoking better for me. You're like, I didn't think about that with that Vitola or Gage of Cigar, right? Like, I didn't think about that. You know, it's, it's like the first time you looked at me and you talked about putting water into your whiskey, and I'm like, if they wanted more water in, they'd have put it in the glass or in the bottle when they made it, you know what I mean? But there's been times we've tried it, right? Yes, it, it, does, it does work. It does open it up. It does create more of an airway or a pathway. Um, you know, down, down to certain things, like when you're learning about Glen Cairns versus rock glasses versus, um, oh, what do they call those? Snifters, you know, port wine glasses, right? Um, things like that. The way glass will attribute to the taste, or the viscosity, or the actual retro that comes through from the whiskey. The more and more you listen to that, and the more that you draw that in, it makes you a either smarter or more curious individual in the hobby that you decide to spend so much time in. Agreed. Right? Yes, absolutely. That was really philosophical. So. You know what? From the Viking, mahalo guys. Thank you so much. We're going to uh, have another cigar and a drink. We're going to hang out. We're going to talk some business. Watch some golfy golf. Uh, and enjoy yourselves. Yeah. Uh, we've enjoyed this. Mahalo, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And from the Bourbon Cowboy, as always, thanks for listening. And you know there's always next week. So hold on till next week. And giddy up.